Woo! You are tuned into the Great Escape. The Great Escape. to accept that personally. The highlight of my day cannot be looking out my window with my binoculars and looking at all the cute men's in my neighborhood running around, you know, with articles of clothing not on. That can't be like the highlight of my day no more. I, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus because I deserve more. <laughs> we all deserve more. Um, so if you're tuned in, hello, Greetings, this is the next installment of the Hannah Baker Diaries. This is your tape. <laughs> no, I'm being dumb. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably sounding a little wonky right now because I'm one of the last few people who's still in the house. And I would just implore, like, okay, look. I, <laughs> things are looking a little more promising right now, yes. You know, we got the vaccines going out and uh, we, we have, it seems like there's a light flicker way off in the distance, but it's flickering because it just feels like we're getting overzealous. I'm speaking collectively now. And I just see all the way y'all acting up for spring break and for just the COVID fatigue. We're tired of being at home. We want to go out. We want to be with people. We want to go back out to parties and not masks. We want to wear masks. And like we, who, who, we all want that, right? But it just feels like it's so imprudent because we're essentially losing all the progress that we made this far. And if we could just hang on. Just a little bit longer. And I blame Moneybag Joe for this because he put that idea in everybody's head of having a 4th of July cookout. And you know, after the year that we have all had, ain't nobody has any sort of concept of a small gathering. So long as you're vaccinated, everybody's come one, come all to the Halloween ball. So I, I, it just feels like I just, who? And now with the UK having, like they're shutting back down because they're seeing spikes and variants in Miami. And it's just... Do I need to, maybe I need to stop watching the news or I don't know. Maybe y'all just need to stay inside a little bit longer. Just, or just, because, I mean, it's, it's promising because, yes, you have to get the economy back up and running and da 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 now, blah, 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 blah. But everybody's opening back up, everything. It just feels like all the restrictions have all of a sudden, it seems like everywhere are just being lifted, which is great. But at the same time, it's like, no, like, can we just, just hold on just a so we can ensure that this will last, but because I'm not getting my hopes up, I'm I'm getting really concerned. And then just like I I I too would like to have a lit summer. I you know have y'all had a lit summer already? Like it's y'all turn to stay inside because some of us okay have been really stringent and have literally only gone to the store, and that's been the outing is the store and for a variety. And I'm again, speaking about my own sad life, yes, but. I don't leave a sad life, darling. I leave a very blessed, fulfilling, purposeful life. But it's just been halted on account of COVID, which almost ruined my life. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm just, I'm really in distress. How was you all's week, man? <sighs> School is either going to give me an ulcer, make me break all of my hair just all the way out, like, or I'm going to run down there and someone's going to run me a check for this money that it feels like I'm wasting because who, you know, and I'm, I'm just going to put the gabosh on that right now because I'm going to have a whole episode, well, not a whole episode, but I'm going to talk about my schooling and my frustrations there on the next episode. I'm just going to reserve for that because I can't even get into it. I have a midterm tomorrow and what am I doing right now? Recording because it's just not a priority to me at this point and I'm just like... So yeah, that's that's my my little CT scan. And I don't know about y'all. Allow me to break out my soapbox. 
Now, hopefully you all, with all that said, you all can forgive me. Um, I was, <laughs> I'm trying to get it together. Just be patient with me. Uh, I felt so more guilty than you could realize for not talking about this particular story sooner. Because, and this is why I have to be more timely because then things get dated. Like, Cameron, you know this, this is one-on-one. Like, journalism one-on-one, you need to, you know, strike while the iron is hot while it's still fresh in rotation. So I apologize for having to serve you all some cold tea on this occasion. But, you know, it's a story, some stories you gotta let them cook a little while. Sometimes you gotta let it sit on the back burner. Okay, and bubble and, and you know, uh, simmer. And, and just develop, and there's actually more fodder now. So while, since the dust is settled, now we can really dive on in. Now, I don't even feel there's any reason for me to, like, have to give any sort of a background or any, like, prior information. At this point, we all, this was the interview heard around the world, quite literally. 17 million views. I thought it'd be higher. I'm, yes, talking about Megan and Harry. I know, we're all tired of hearing about them, their champagne problems. But we have to acknowledge racism in all of its facets, in every place. It all has to be addressed and it has to be um, uh, uh, discussed. And, and people need to be held accountable. Oh, yes. I took copious notes during this interview, y'all. I had my, I made a, I planned the whole weekend around this stupid ass Oprah, Megan and Harry interview. Now, I mean, I was making myself the macaroni. I had it in the pot sounding like, you know, some wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and I made myself some my famous meat, meat and gathered myself and my family on the television. And we were ready to get it cracking. What does Megan have to say? Like, I was not even interested in, like, I don't care about the bras like that. I have not really cared about Megan's entrance into the family. Um, I mean, I... I felt on one hand, like, not obligated to care, but to care because it's like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's kind of one of us, right? And we're, we're going to get there because I don't mean to... Okay. So let me just get into the interview for this because I can go on a tangent. So, yeah, and I'm just going to strictly off my nose. I was like, Megan, sister friend, girl. You didn't do no research prior to to joining this family. Like, I didn't know if I believed that at first. Me, me and my family, we were all giving her the side eye. Like, sis, what do you mean you did not research? That's what Google is for. The search engine is there, y'all, to be made use of, okay? And that goes for the job you're applying to, the man that you're dating, uh, uh, the house, the property that you... Research, okay? Use that search engine, please. It can say, let this be a testament. When you don't do your research, you end up like Megan, okay? And if you heard the interview, you don't want to end up, God, how she was left out to dry. So, some new information we got. Well, I just, that blew my mind. I just couldn't believe that Megan did enough research before joining the royal family. And now it's, because she was surprised when Harriet said, okay, well, when you come meet my grandmother, you know, you have to curtsy or bow or whatever the hell, whatever the practice is. And she was like, really? I thought that was like something in the movies. And he was like, she's the queen. <laughs> and that was the moment, I guess, for Megan where it said, in like, oh, I'm dating, like, you know, the heir to this royal family. And I need to, you know, get with the practices and the customs and, and educate myself on, because there ain't nobody else going to be here to, they're going to leave you out to drop. But we're going to get there. Okay. So, um, New information that we learned during this uh, interview was that three days prior to the actual, you know, wedding of Mer Mer Megan and Harry, which was what, back, was it back in 2018? I want to say that it was. Um, damn, time be flying. We'll be lost years. So I actually kind of don't count that. I'll say it's been like a year. So, uh, yeah, they got married a few days before the actual, you know, grand affair, which I think actually made more sense. If I was in their shoes, I would have probably opted to also just have them. Because to me, I'm real barefoot in the beach. Just my man, me, the priest, and Jesus. That's, that's all we need. I don't like a, a huge, lavish affair for, like, it's just, ugh, gag me. So, it, it should be between you and I, like, the, the, the intimacy. I like that more. So, I was like, oh, you know what? That's cute. I like that. That makes sense. So, they got married three days before their actual wedding for the world. Um, yeah, okay, they got married. Uh, yeah, okay. So, uh, I'm, not, I'm just going to get into, who the first uh, revelation that was made during this, this really revelatory interview 
Um, so there was a story that was circulating at one point in time that um, Megan had made Kate, Kate Middleton, William's wife, her, you know, current sister-in-law, cry. Um, we didn't get a lot of information as to, you know, the who, what, when, where, why, how. We just knew that this, it was, and obviously it was easy for this story to be perpetuated because, oh, here we have this. Listen, and however you identify Megan, she's not seen as a white person, I don't think, to anybody. I mean, even though she, she visibly, you know, looks ambiguous to white society, they don't consider her to be white. So it was very easy for this story to gain traction and for people to just accept Oh, yeah, this is what happened. Yeah, sure, this black woman made, you know, this white girl cry. Sure, sure, that makes sense. But Megan let us know, just a few minutes into this interview, let me let y'all know something right here. That that was a lie from the pit of hell, okay? Because actually, it was the inverse. Kate made me cry because prior to this wedding, there was some sort of dispute over, like, flower girl dresses for, um, you know, Kate and William's, I guess, daughter, and so they had an exchange to the point where Megan was left, you know, in a puddle of tears. And this should have been the, the and I'm sure maybe in hindsight, you know, hindsight's 2020, but this was really telling because no one was allowed to correct the story. No one was able to say, no, this isn't what happened. And I should also preface this by saying, Megan made note to say that when she first got involved with Harry, and, you know, in terms of the marriage and all of that and being ingratiated into the family, she was told, if ever you are approached by media or whomever else, always just no comment and in return, we will we'll protect you. Hmm. Yeah, I never really know why people talking about they're going to protect you. So that that was, I don't think that was shock to me. Like I said, like that, of course, stories like that. And <laughs> I'm going to connect this to a story later on and it all comes full circle. But okay, I'm talking in circles. Let me, let me continue on with my points. So we cleared that that up. And so that was interesting. And, and yeah, I was like, oh, I'm hanging the abuse. Okay. Yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, good relationship with the queen. Oh, yes. So, um, I was, so what I meant to say earlier was the fact that, um, I was like this interview, I only had decided like towards like the last minute when, um, out in the UK, the royal family started just throwing whatever they felt would stick at the wall towards Megan, you know, a preemptive strike, if you will. They were trying to come up with all these bogus stories about Megan being a bully and such, you know, a problem, and this, that, and the third. And it was like, y'all really seem to be doing the absolute most over Harry and Meghan's upcoming interview with Oprah. What exactly are you all so afraid that they're going to say? They don't seem to understand how American society works. This is only making us want to watch this more. Hell, you, what about you on Sunday night? Fuck the housewives. Let me get my damn DVR together. Let me, let me actually watch this shit live. Because there's something in this interview that someone does not want us to know. And, um... They had up the interview. I think it was only supposed to be an hour at one point to 90 minutes. So I said, ooh, okay. I definitely, you know, watch this. So I was expecting to hear that the queen was part of, not part of, probably one of the main issues within the family and within the destruction and dissolution of Harry and Meghan from the family. But it come, came to find that, you know, um, they actually, Harry and Meghan, have a, a good relationship with the queen or maybe they just had to say that because they want to keep their lives and, you know, have some sort of, you know, um, whatever in the future. So they said, you know, it's probably in our best interest to not speak ill of my, my grandmother, of the grandma. So they just decided, yes, we have a good relationship with the queen. And it seemed genuine. Megan, you know, has shared stories about it's what seemed like just instances of the queen really kind of embracing her and you know, being fond of her and just trying to, you know, bring her into the family. She's like one of the few people who, you know, seemed interested in that. So from her um, recollection of events, she was not the issue. So we can eliminate, process of elimination, we can eliminate her on the uh, list of suspects. So, um, and I have a quote here. It says, everyone welcomed me. It was nothing like it. Oh, hold on, sorry. I have my light ring on, so it's, it's kind of dim in here. The lighting here is kind of weird. I'm just trying to move. Everyone welcomed me. It was, 
in my penmanship is horrid, darling. Oh, nothing like it looked like. It was nothing like it looked like. Well, yeah, everything's smoke and mirrors, but then, and I was just like, Megan, how is this surprising to you? You seem like a relatively smart girl. Why would you not research and why would you not go into this already, you know, with your game face on? Okay, now, <laughs> we, we, now, I guess we've already gotten, at least on, in terms of my notes, to the part where it really got interesting. And this was basically, I'm sure everybody's heard this part by now. And it wasn't even shocking to hear this. I was like, I, and this is what I was basically expecting to hear. This was the bombshell, I think, we were all, at least all of us in the black community. We were like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Megan uh, disclosed that when she was pregnant with her and Harry's first child, now you know who we know as Archie, that there were some conversations going around the palace, okay? Some concerns that were being raised. And it would appear that there were some concerns and conversations uh, from the family about how dark their child would potentially be uh, and what that would look like. What? <laughs> Did y'all? Oprah was in her color purple bag with this whole, can we just have a sidebar just to talk about Lady O? I feel like she remind all the kids, this is why I'm Oprah motherfucking Winfrey. And like that interview Kareen wildly, um, Oprah and the, were, were you silent? Or were you silenced? <laughs> and all just the memes and the pictures and, and just everything. She, she, she was so masterful in this. And this. She showed why she spent 25 years with like the number one daytime talk show. And why she is Oprah Gayle Winfrey. Okay, media maven, media, media extraordinaire. Um, of her line of questioning and just everything else. Her, her um, concern and her... Um, just uh, the body length, all of it. Just, I mean, I was just studying, but I was just so taken by her. But um, yes, so, and I, again, I'm so unmoved by this because I was like, if anybody is surprised by this, you, you're either lying or um, that's the cause for concern that you're surprised because the world that we live in, uh, after our racial reckoning, you all mean to tell me that you are surprised to hear that the royal family, the original colonizers, were concerned about the prospect of this child coming out with, you know, a little more hue than the rest of the, or, you know, melon than the rest of the family. That's surprising to hear. Like, and it's, <laughs> only it seems like white people would be, it that it would, to them, like, Megan's only half black. And even, like, I get, you know, the way genes work, you never really know or whatever, but like, she's having a baby with a white man. So that baby is going to be, what is that? What is that considered? An octave? I don't know what the, the breakdown of that way. I don't want to use vocabulary like that. But, like, visually, this maybe he'll have a little textured hair and, you know, we can always just put a do-rag on like, you know, Drake does with his son Adonis and all will be well, you know? But, you know, but the baby is... <laughs> there were jokes going on on the internet. The baby is, like, light bright. But they like said the only thing that the royal family see is burnt back. <laughs> so yes, um, that that was uh, egregious. That was I, I mean, we laugh so we don't cry, right? So we make jokes and we, ha ha ha. They're so racist. But yeah, how sad because what Megan was describing was. It was like a series of things. It was like okay, first she was being told that this baby would not be given a title. And it was like, what? Like, this is Harry's child. And, you know, he's next in line after William. And he, you know, Diana's son. What you mean? He's not going to have no title. And then being told that he wouldn't have security protection. And it's like, for anybody to say this has anything other to do with race, you're kidding yourself. Because there is nothing about... Archie that is different from the rest of the family other than the fact that his mother is half black and that's just what it is and our inability or your inability to reconcile with that is part of the problem and we need to get really real with ourselves okay because we don't we don't have time um yeah so Megan also discussed you know a, 
and it was it was so I felt like I had a better insight. I think we all have better insight because she had described this time in isolation for us. Um, like it feels like we now can understand a little bit more of her plight because she too was isolated for the longest time during her duration, you know, within the family. Um, and I just have a better understanding of where your headspace can go, being isolated, being removed. Um, but obviously nothing like on her scale where, you know, there's all of this, you know, the, the media monster that's following you and you got family and friends that are calling you concerned about things that they're seeing and it's kind of incongruent with, you know, what you think because you've been told you're going to be protected. And so it was, I'm, I'm sure, difficult for her to pick up, you know, early on what was really going on. But so there was a period where uh, <laughs> Megan was talking about how she was struggling, you know, mentally, emotionally. Her well-being, her headspace wasn't too good and, you know, kind of jacked up. And um, it, it hadn't metastasized. And it reached the point where she was, uh, she said that she was suicidal. And that the institution, quote-unquote, would not clear her to get help because it wouldn't look good. This all comes back down to optics. What would that look like to have her, you know, going off to, you know, get treatment or going to a facility? That, that's, you know, not good for business. So we're just going to let her languish and continue to, like, just suffer. Uh, yeah, that was, to me, the most egregious because it's like... God forbid she had acted upon this, you know, she, you all would have been culpable. Because here she is saying, and, and literally using, saying I am suicidal, I do not want to. She said that, and she, she was talking about this one instance where she had to go to this event with Harry because she didn't think she could be left alone by herself. And this is, mind you, while she was pregnant. So if that even gives you any sort of indication of the state that she was in, but you know, I have to go out and, and, and it was, it's this weird thing where, you know, you see, and while she's, you know, sharing, you know, clearly this, her bearing her soul in this heart wrenching tale, we're getting B roll of them at this event and smiling and holding hands and all this, you know, that's their job. But it's just, it's so like, this is so unnatural. And it's just, who, yeah, I don't know. Just interesting from, you know, from, my vantage point. So, yes. Um, oh, by the way, Megan's pregnant now and having a girl. Yay. Um, yeah. Uh, yes. Lack of support and willingness. Uh, sorry, I wrote these notes a couple weeks ago, so I'm just like, what did I mean by that? Um, yeah. So, she said the queen was never blindsided. That You know, they always kind of understood. Like, and after, at that point, I don't understand how you can expect them to not take drastic action and... Like, you're not even taking my pleas for help serious. How am I supposed to do my job, fam? And, and, but that, that was, for see, that's, and that's the thing. And that's what's so glaring. She was never supposed to do her job. She was never supposed to be good at doing her job. They really set Megan up to fail. She talked about, I'm going to get into Harry in a minute, but, hold on, let me my notes so I can plot this out in somewhat of an articulate fashion, darling. So, is there anything else that I really need to talk about before? Okay. So Harry had basically said that he had noticed a shift when they went to, was it Australia or South Africa? They were making one of their tours somewhere doing something. And this was Megan's first, I guess, official um, role and, and, you know, tag along, if you will. And so she had performed above expectations she was such a natural um people really took to her and that was the problem because he was even saying that like i don't understand like megan she could really help to be like a great asset for us she really helps to you know she looks like what the world looks like and now our family is finally starting to catch up with the times and this could be great for us and but Megan made it known that, like, at no point in time did anybody ever get for any sort of, like, a crash course in all things royal family or how to conduct yourself or, like, no support. Like, they, she was flying blind. And they did that intentionally because she was never supposed to be, you know, a good princess. She was supposed to fail. She was supposed to be, you know, this, um, 
black girl who didn't know and would look bad and therefore they wouldn't have to do any of the work to convince you of who they wanted you to see Megan as. She did it for herself and then the you know the press could run with that. And I thought to me that was always what was supposed to go on with it. She was too popular. She it it was supposed to be William and and, and um what's that boring bitch's name? Kate. They were they were, you know, set up to be the successors. And to take the throne, and they it, like it was supposed to be them, but Megan, she's getting a little too popular, she's doing a little too much, you know, very much so in the same vein as Diana. Um, and that's why, you know, I do give Harry props for being a real man, and, and I don't even like that terminology or that phrase, but no, honestly, and stepping up and saying, you know what, history is not going to repeat itself, I've seen the way that they did this with my mother, not with my wife, we're getting the fuck out of here, y'all ain't got no respect for her, my kid, you know what, then... I gotta look out for mine, like a man does. Um, but whew, they left him bereft, you know? Like, he did not... He, and, and the thing that was so crazy was the fact that, you know, they had no security at this point. They had just... Because, you know, they were staying in Canada for a period, and then they came to, you know, Los Angeles, and this was right, you know, when COVID was, you know, beginning to loom, they have no security, they have no money, they have no place to stay, and the world knows where they are. I don't see anything that can go wrong with that, do you? <sighs> like, that's just a recipe for disaster. And wouldn't you know, a black man, because you know us, always coming through, bringing people to the cookout, always, you know, lending a hand, Tyler Perry offered up his home for Harry and Meghan to stay at. And um, while they were able to just kind of get together. And also, it was the foresight of Harry's mom, Diana, late, you know, the late great Princess Diana of Wales, who had left him money. And to Harry's understanding, he felt like this was because Diana saw where this was going. And she knew, okay, I want him to have this because you know who the fuck knows like moms always just have that intuition that and just women in general like trust that female intuition if you feel it and you gut it you feel it in your soul then you probably write about it so <sighs> I'm looking at my nose to see if there's anything else yeah but the you know family cut Harry off without money um at the conclusion of this interview oh also fun fact they watched the crown on I thought that was funny to hear um yeah, it was the Australian tour I was referring to, not, you know, Austra I said Australia, didn't I? Yeah, 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 yeah. They were mad she was able to assimilate. Uh, Harry felt trapped. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, takeaways, I'm just gonna, because I feel like I've been beating a, a dead horse, but this is a very, it's, I feel like I've done a good job of consolidating this very complex story. Um, Megan says, the one regret, because when Oprah, you know, began to conclude the interview and said, like, any regrets? You know how she does. And she said, Megan regrets believing that they would protect her. You know, and, and that was a little chilling, because it's like, yeah, they really left you out there to dry. Um, and Harry says that he felt like he was trapped all these years and claims other members of his family are too. And how can you not be? I mean, you're reared and brought up into a whirlwind of crazy and of like a very unnatural sort of a life. And so, ooh, yeah. Um, all of that. But <laughs> the story didn't end there because then things were just getting fun. The fun was just started. Now, I don't even want to bring up this next character because I am a firm believer of if maybe you just stop talking about certain people and stop giving them shine and relevance and discussion and we just act like they don't exist, then maybe, you know, speak it as though it is such and so it shall be. Or don't say anything at all. And so it shall be. And they'll just, you know, disappear. So uh, I'm going to use initials following my, my good sis, her, her footsteps. So yes, PM. And you can just, you know, you know that... Uh, he used to be a former, you know, CNN host, and now he's, you know, in UK media. He just lost his job at Good Morning, was it Britain? Yeah, so him, that character. So, <laughs> and now that we have more background, uh, this particular character was a textbook case of being left high and dry, and because that male ego couldn't handle it, now I have to 
go on like you know an assassination campaign of this woman's character to anybody who will listen because I feel rejected and ashamed and humiliated and I don't have the emotional intelligence to deal with all those feelings and stuff in a constructive way. So apparently Megan and this individual PM had a relationship. I don't believe it was romantic. I believe it was like a friendship type of relationship. And interestingly enough, he was the one to put her, uh, they were out for, I guess, drinks or something on this one night. He put her, Megan, into a cab that took her off to see Harry. And that was the last that they ever spoke. Because, you know, I guess her and Harry got involved. And this member, is, this you know, particular person is a member of the media. And so I can understand that being a conflict of interest. She wouldn't, you know carry out a relationship with it's a cold walk on the side of the tracks you all being a member of the media you know people you know, understandably kind of see you as they don't know that they can trust or they are skeptical or whatever else so but yeah this guy he was mad about it and so we've had to hear about it because we've given you know airbags like him a platform so he has repudiated he has questioned all of Megan's claims prior to this interview so you know after this interview everything Megan said was a lie and she's you know doing such a disservice to the family and she's this she's that and all of this has racial undertones all of this like and I'm not trying to make everything a race thing sorry that that's I don't make the rules y'all everything like has race to do with it in some capacity. Let's just be honest. Let's just be real. So, um, <laughs> enter Sharon Osborne. So, because you know, birds of a feather flock together, Sharon, okay, follow me here, decided to, <laughs> and no one asked for this. She took it upon her damn self to get online on a public platform and, you know, get them thumbs to clicking. And defend this man and turn this into a free speech matter and say, well, I may not agree, but I believe, I believe in free speech. I can't do it for a second. I believe in free speech. And so I don't believe that what this individual said was wrong or racist. You know, this is my friend and he's allowed to state his opinion and state his case and have his opinion. Boom. Then cut to getting on, you know, obviously social media blew up on her ass. And then because she has a very public job, she has to go on her daytime talk show the next day and atone for what she's... I mean, you got, listen, don't be trying to be big and bad if you can't be big and bad. If you said it and that's how you feel, then stand in and be able to have to uh, face the music. So, I don't know who's familiar with the talk. I used to love it back when it was... Julie Chen Moonves. <laughs> uh, Aisha Tyler and um, who else was on back when I used to? I didn't watch when it was Holly Robinson Pete and Leah Remini. I, I watched during that second installment and Sarah Gilbert was on that panel. So I, I used to kind of watch the talk, but I've since stopped a long time ago just because it no longer was really all that interesting to me. And so. Cheryl Underwood and what is that girl's name? Elaine Maxwell. I hope I got her name. I know her name is Elaine. I don't know her na her last name, but she's a journalist, I think. That's at least that's what Google says. And so and they were the only two uh, melanated folks on that panel. And as far as I was concerned, they were in their Emmanuel Ocho bag because they were up there explaining and educating and, and giving space and just, ooh, all the patience for someone who deserved none of it. Cheryl had a coach. She was so defensive. She was so like, oh my goodness, couldn't believe that I'm being called out, being held to task for defending this man's racial implic like his his racist takes, essentially, rooted undertones of racism and all of that. And I'm defending that. So, you know, and again, no one asked me to do this. So, um, <laughs> Sharon and Cheryl got into it and Sharon showed her entire ass because then she started doing what all white people do when they feel like they're being cornered and being challenged. And it's, I couldn't be, I mean, they were bleeping her out. So I don't know what she was saying, but she was like, I can't be racist because I, and anytime that's your argument, I, I've already heard enough. Like I, 
So, and then she was saying, like, and Cheryl was so nice about it and so patient. Sharon was saying that she was caught off guard because no one had told her, I guess, in the, and I don't, I don't believe this. No one told her they were going to have this conversation. No one in the morning meetings had said, hey, we're going to address this. It just felt like she, and her, uh, you know, her claim was that she was attacked and blindsided and everybody, she felt like she was in the electric chair and that's why she was getting, I don't even care about this dumb hoe. But she had a full-on tantrum and meltdown and basically told Cheryl, Cheryl uh, educate me, tell me. Like, I, can I pull up the clip? Is it worth pulling the clip up? Just to give y'all more context if you ain't heard it. Just a whole bunch of, of nonsense. And... Like, I, I almost, I have so much, maybe because I cooled down. I don't, I don't really have a whole lot for this. I really don't. It's just like, you know what? I'm not, I, I, I was initially a little upset at Cheryl because I was like, why are you being so gracious? Why are you being so patient? Why are you even giving her the respect when clearly it's not, the same courtesy is not reciprocated. She does not care. She's being very aggressive with you. She's being very out of pocket. She's trying to make herself victim, and I'm getting upset again, victimizing her. And, and she tried to weaponize those damn white woman tears the same way Kate's ass was trying to weaponize. Maybe the way the media was portraying the story, I don't know, trying to weaponize Kate Middleton's white ass tears and try to, and the fact it's like Sharon is being called out for defending this racist man and then it somehow becomes Cheryl has to hold her composure so that she does not offend this white lady because then the narrative becomes, oh, Cheryl Underwood made Sharon Osborne cry. And it, ooh, that, that really just, it did something to me. It, I, I feel something in my bone marrow. I can't even articulate to you all that, ugh, ugh. So, yeah, Sharon, I'm, I, and listen, maybe I'm just late to this train, but Sharon has, has been trash, and now all the receipts are starting to come up because apparently she had told Holly Robinson Pete that she was too ghetto to be a part of the panel, and now the show is on suspension rather than just firing Sharon. I think at this point they need to just fire Sharon. I, I don't think she, which, girl, just go sit down with Ozzy and make sure he's taking his medication and keep dyeing that hair and but some people you know they need to be seen and heard in front of us so but the fact that she's not being held accountable that there's no sort of recourse or consequence and that I'm not down with that um and they're doing all of this, everybody else is bad. Because I'm sure, you know, it's the talk show is a, a full body machine. So the producers and editors and, you know, the, the crew on set, the camera operators and stuff, everybody's bag is being stopped now because we're just not going to hold Sharon. Who, and literally, I don't know what, you know, what a difference it could have made if she could have just sat the fuck back, listened, picked up a book, used that damn Google search engine, and tried to do better I, like you you really could have just that i don't understand why everybody has to feel so attacked all the damn time when people are coming to you and saying hey guys this is my lived experience and it's not just me there's we can we can pass the plate to a number of people and they are all saying the same thing even though you may not feel like you've been in the wrong in that situation you don't see it that way you have to take into account Everybody is saying this. Let me sit back. Let me soak that in. Let me sit in it. Let me assess it. Let me think about it. And and just 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 take it in. What a difference that could have made. But you know, everybody can't just be to me, it's if you don't do that, then you're the asshole. You look at the asshole if you, you know, get defensive about it rather than just trying to be empathetic and take a beat. You know what I'm like? So moving forward, you all just sit back and shut the fuck up. And um Read and Google, and you should be okay. Now, my philosophy has always been that an attractive man is an attractive man. You know what I'm saying? 
But sometimes I do have to stop and ask myself, do I need to sit on someone's couch and, and assess some things? Because I should not be as attracted as I am to Chris Cuomo. I mean, he is fine as <laughs> like a glass of wine. He is just, oh, like a whole snack, a Lunchable. He is yummy. Okay, them eyes just, I mean, you get transfixed and caught up in them big blue. It's like looking in the ocean. And he got a real nice strong nose like I like. Come on, y'all. And that physique. Oh, but he's like in closer age bracket to my father. And my father, mind you, was like 40 years older than me. So sometimes I'm like, okay, maybe I need to get my appointment together. And I have to consult with the doctor and, 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 and talk about that. But speaking of Chris, um, his badass brother, child. Because he has been noticeably absent from, you know, his post at, you know, CNN, his, his platform. I'm sure that it's been awkward for him, um, you know, having his show and not being able to dis to discuss, you know, because it's a conflict of interest, his brother and what's being reported and alleged about him. Now, earlier this month, accusations began surfacing against New York Governor Andrew Cuomo citing sexual harassment uh, from several former aides. Or for, several former aides of cited sexual harassment against him. Um, a woman by the name of uh, Charlotte Bennett uh, has said that the governor was alleged to have expressed loneliness. A request to uh, the aide. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry, these notes. I don't know why I wrote my lead like this. Ooh, this is why I got a scene writing for the media. Okay. The governor was alleged to have expressed loneliness. A request to an aide to find him a girlfriend and even went as far as to ask if she, the aide, uh, had ever been with an older man. Another accuser by the name of Lindsay Boylan shared that back in 2016, the governor alleged, allegedly, because I have to protect myself, uh, kissed her on the lips without consent after sharing that uh, he had a crush on her. He also suggested that Boylan and him play strip poker during a 2017 trip on a taxpayer-funded jet, allegedly. Uh, in spite of mounting accusations and pressure from fellow Democratic constituents, uh, the governor has made it clear that he has no plans to step down. He said, quote, uh, he never intended to offend or cause any harm. Uh, I know, I now, excuse me, understand that some of my interactions may have been insensitive or too personal, you think? So essentially, he didn't even deny this. He was just saying, oh, you know what? This is going to be a teachable moment for me. Thanks, guys. I'm like, oh, so we're not denying what's being alleged? But I think he tried to offset it and say he was being playful and, you know, all that other, you know, BS excuses. So I, I guess we can, I mean, is it even a question at this point whether or not he did it? He basically, he, he just said that he did. I was watching um, Charlotte Bennett's interview with, I think it was NBC, or was it CBS? I can't recall. I th no, it was CBS. And what she was saying was particularly chilling. She was saying that he was like so um, preoccupied, not pre but he, he just kept um, like inquiring about her past experience being raped and like just kept saying like i don't he was just really preoccupied with it and she felt like that was you know textbook you know grooming and she felt that that was his way of trying to assess and gauge oh you know well maybe she doesn't have confidence in herself and you know maybe i can take advantage here so just she really um methodical and, and the way she had expressed you all should listen to that interview it was it was really interesting um and maddening. And this is why I just can't, you know, deal with all these unimrods who are out here saying, well, why didn't she just say no? You know, this is a post-me-too world. Just say no. Well, I mean, he's the damn governor and that's her boss. Like, and if you have been around, I, I mean, I have never been around, you know, uh, a figure like that. But I don't have to be to know that uh, I'm sure that you are thinking about to, to say no to the governor I mean, I, I'm sure his, his presence alone is probably very, um, in some ways, intimidating because there is a power imbalance there. And <laughs> I, that's why I just, I can't enter. This is why I don't like to look at the comments on certain, you know, platforms because you know it's about to be none but some nonsense. This is what happens when everybody has access to, you know, be able to, to state their opinion, their uninformed um Tack head ass opinions. 
Now, there's also been several testimonies claiming that he is just overall unpleasant to work with. Um, some sharing instances of the governor, you know, aides going, not the aides, you know, in question who are making these allegations, but other aides going as far as to make threats. Um, there was an instance of a journalist coming forward who uh, said that after writing an unsavory article about him, he he was threatened by some of the uh, Governor Cuomo's aides. Um and there was also another threat that he had made against, I don't recall who, but um, yeah, I don't want to get into that. But he was saying some real flagrant shit, y'all. Uh, but I'm going to let him live on that one. This is also on the heels of reports claiming that the number of uh, nursing, that a number of nursing homes, nursing home, uh, fatal, a number of nursing home fatalities were skewed. Um, underreporting deaths by the thousands while we were all sitting up here and cheering and saying, whoa, look at Governor Cuomo and, you know, deifying him. You know, there was some shady mess going on and we were saying, he's handling this pandemic so well. He's really getting New York under control. Little did we know. Be careful who, you know, y'all prop up. Um, and there was also some reports that have come forward of alleged requests uh, to give his family testing priority during the early stages of the pandemic. So, Abusing his power. I mean, it seems like we have a, a repeated instances. And just uh, the audacity, the unmitigated gall to use your position in this manner and abuse it like this. Like, you have to have some real nerve to think that, yeah, you know, I can just, I can do whatever and not be held uh, responsible or accountable because I'm the governor. Mm. I don't know what it, I don't know what it is about men who just can't keep their keep it in their pants at work. You know what I'm saying? Like, damn. Mm-mm. Just, just gross. So should he resign? Yeah, I think so. I think this is this is a pretty cut. I mean, listen, I, I believe in due process. I believe in an investigation. However, I also believe when people when victims come forward and say this is what happened. Nine times out of ten, I'm going to be like, I, you said it, so I have to believe it. And like I said, I, I do like to follow up and corroborate with an investigation. But I will never feel bad for believing someone who came forward and, and, gave, and, and are, are courageous enough to tell their story. Even, you know, though there are those rare instances where people do lie. Um, you know, to me, that's on them. And for you to take advantage of um, people's compassion and like you do a disservice to the whole movement by lying because you know that feeds into the notion that people just come forward and lie like and that happens but but very very rarely so i'm i'm compelled to to believe all of these ladies and it just it seems like there's 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 a repeated pattern going on here so <sighs> yeah fall from grace Moving on, you know, to something that you kids probably care about. I could care less about this, but every story I do is not for me. And, you know, I feel I have, I have an obligation here at the mic to, you know, talk about all that goes on under the sun. So, uh, Saweetie and Quavo, yeah, it looks like we've seen the, the, the end of, of this couple, uh, as they have publicly called it quits. Many are chalking uh, the breakup up to Saweetie's appearance on Revolt's Respectfully Justin show. Uh, the nature of the discussion that was going on there and, you know, some of the, the energy that it seemed like was being exchanged. You know, I'm a body linguist, so I, I was watching and I, I didn't, begrudgingly, I did not finish it because I was like, what in the hell? This is why everybody does not deserve a microphone. Everybody cannot be a podcast host. Everybody cannot be, you know, just because some people, you know, because one of the um, hosts on this show is Justin Combs. And yes, Combs as in Sean Combs, Diddy's son. So, you know, that's why he has a microphone. People getting by on the, you know, Prince Nepotism. And listen, get in where you fit in. But it, it, it's just, it's it show. I just, I, and not to gatekeep and act like I, you know, get to decide who can and cannot, you know, create content. But if you are going to do something, you need to have enough respect of the craft to do it and do it right. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't don't go out because then you end up cheapening the art form. And then that pisses, you know, those of us who can really go out here and do this shit, you know, it's, it's cheaping for the rest of us. And, you know, I would never disrespect. I always use this analogy just because I can bust out an eight count. Okay. 
and holds a note. I would never think that I could do what Beyonce does. And I would, it's like you have to put in the 10,000 hours for mastery. These kids know how, they have no concept, darling. So that's why I was just like, ugh, already turned off to the, to the whole situation. Five minutes and then they were already talking about raw sex. It's like, do you kids have nothing else to, like, to discuss other than sex? It just felt very sophomoric to me, personally. It was, it was unbecoming. It just felt very like high school lunch table, like, you know, talk. Like, I don't know. It was, it was just, mm, I was like, yeah, this discussion just emphasized why I don't believe every, I believe that uh, everyone does not deserve to hold the mic and why I just, I personally just have uh, issues connecting with members of my generation, not to generalize and say that this is a representation of all people who are Gen Z, but there's just a certain, like, even just the whole, like, I don't even know who Saweetie, honestly, I could not tell you one Saweetie song. I could not tell you one Kuevo song. I'm, I'm sure I've heard, you know, the Migos before. So I'd be like, oh, if you played me something, I'm, I'm sure that I would know something. But I, I, I don't be listening to that music. I like real lyrics, melodies, real instruments, you know, c- uh, real quality. Sorry. I like vocals. And they're not giving any of that. So I just, I don't engage. I know Saweetie for being, you know. But I don't want to get into that. So, um, <laughs> I only knew about the story really because of my friend. Shout out to... Y- y'all know Marquise. I've had him on the show, friend of the show. Uh, because he had hit me up. And, you know, he was giving his take. And it felt like he was just trying to per- perpetuate an agenda. And be like, trying to use this, this moment to essentially nail all women. There's, there's real battle of the sexes going on on here. It feels like men and women are at each other's jugular all the time now. Like, there's, there's some real... I don't know. I have to look at it with my third eye a little bit more. But there, there's, there's some real tension going on. Like, yeah, but let me stay out of straightforward business. But it just felt like he was trying to say, oh, see, this is why women are trash type thing. And I was like, you're not about to perpetuate that over here with me, sir. Just trying to use this as a moment to, you know, because this fits your narrative that you're trying to make. So, I I was questioning because I was saying, well, I I, I didn't understand, like, what has Saweetie had done on this? this, Granted, I didn't watch it in full. But from what I saw, I was like, what did she do that, that had frustrated all of you all to the point where you were saying, oh, you know, she's just she, she, you know, was the, the the trash party in this, and she's the reason why this this relationship is no longer a relationship. Um, so were they broken up prior? I, I guess they were not, Saweetie and Quavo. Um, and I, I gather that because one of Justin's one of the Justins posed a question saying, um, he he prefaced it by saying, "So if you uh." If you're ever single again. So I'm guessing that she was not. And they were trying to say, well, why are you going on a platform and talking about sex so openly with two? And I, and I guess there was also some rumblings going on that one of these Justins is, is one of her exes. See, I, I don't know. That's what I'm, I, don't, I don't know what none of these kids is doing shit. I, I'm just like, ooh. But this is what y'all into, I guess. There was also a social media exchange that had transpired. I got my life because Sweetie had said, take care. <laughs> I don't know why that made me giggle. Because I thought like that was such a loaded statement. Uh, it said a lot without saying a lot. <sighs> and there was also, um, so there was an alleged repossessed bins that uh, Quavo had bought Sweetie. But I guess uh, TMZ had uh, debunked this and that said that this this was a, a false claim. That I guess it wasn't repossessed or whatever. And... I don't care. Um, all the best. Because, um, you know, <laughs> I just, I don't really, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know Sweetie like that. I know her. She I, she was on uh, Auntie's show a while back and she had called her by her first name. And that was like a, you know, cringe moment for me because it's like, girl, don't be calling the elders by their first name. Do I have to pull up that Maya Angelou clip? You don't have a license to call me by my first name. Like, little girl, you, and you a black girl. Like, I'm trying to think, ain't your aunties and uncles and parents, like, taught you? Like, when there's a significant age gap, that's just poor form, beloved. We don't do that. And then she was also on Tamar's podcast, Under Construction. And so I heard that episode. And, you know, she, she you know, granted, she is a USC alum. So, you know, clap for that. We like, you know, uh, de- being degreed. 
and whatnot. But I don't want to sound problematic by saying this. I'm just going to let my auntie say it. Because when it comes to, you know, gals like Sweetie, it's just, it's very like... And not to say that Saweetie's a trick or anything, but you know, it just it just feels like some gals, you know, when you're light skinned and you know thin and you, you just fit the the standard of what is, you know, popping and high and bad then, you know, you just, you are able to ascend just by being. And I'm not, again, I have not listened to any of Sweetie's music, so I don't even know if I can say that. But I would argue if Sweetie was three shades darker and let's just say 40 pounds heavier, would we be giving her the time of day? I I, I don't know because I don't listen. So maybe some of you all would drag me, but I, I, I don't know this gal. I don't know her. So, you know, um, I'm going to leave that alone. Okay. Uh, switching gears. Uh, you know, the, that Demi Lovato, she's getting extremely candid. Again, I don't mean to sound shady by saying again, but this is like home chicks. I think is it her third, like, you know, rehabilitation documentary. But yeah, I'm, listen, it, re, it's a journey. Okay. Uh, so in an, uh, a no holds barred new YouTube documentary directed by Michael Ratner, and I couldn't just—is Michael Ratner related to Brett Ratner? I, I was trying to Google that, but I couldn't, you know, find uh, anything to confirm that. So you all let me know. Uh, called Dancing with the Devil, opening up about what led to her 2018 drug overdose uh, after being sober for six years. The singer uh, leaves no topic unaddressed, discussing her eating disorder, body dysmorphia, and sexual abuse. I actually happen to remember where I was when I first heard the news about Demi's overdose. Now, granted, you know, to be honest with you all, I really have not paid attention to Miss Lovato since Camp Rock and Sunny with a Chance. I left her after I left Disney. I was after I kind of grouted that. I said, I, I, I don't listen to her music. Um, I don't keep up with her like that personally. But um, I was so just beside myself. I remember I was at work. I was in the break room. Um, and like, I was just like, oh my God, like I got the, I was scrolling on the, on the Twitter and I'd come across a TMZ report and I was, I was, I was really stunned. Um, and I have mixed feelings about this documentary. On one hand, I feel like it's, it is a courageous feat on her part, um, because I, th I think anytime you heal out loud, I think that that takes, it, it does take a level of courage. And I think that um, she is going to help a lot of people. And, 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 you know, even arguably, she might even save lives by by releasing this. Um, and, and why not capitalize off of what was, you know, clearly a, a low point in life? You know what I'm saying? And given that, you know, this happened publicly, it makes sense that she might want to clear certain things up because the narrative can get skewed and people might feel like they know, you know, the full story and, and they don't. And since, you know, so I, I, I get it, but at the same time, it does feel like, okay, are we, it feels like we're teetering on like entertainment versus exploitation, even though no one's holding a gun to Ms. Lovato's head, but it feels like we might be inadvertently glamorizing you know, substance abuse and, and, you know, addiction and things. And it, it just, I don't know. So I, I, I go back and forth. But I caught the first two episodes because they were released on the 20th. Ever since I saw the trailer for this, I was really enamored. I love that. That song that just came out that was released, Dancing with the Devil, like the the, the title of the, the doc. Very, Demi can sing her ass off. Like, I mean, she, point blank in the period. When she sang Anyone at the Grammys, oh my God. Like, she, she really, homegirl really got the vibe. She got a throw. If nothing else, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that, you know, to see that that gift was not taken from her because after watching this, this doc, I did not realize, you know, it, it was worse than what we thought from what, you know, I, I guess most had, had known because we you don't know you know she had said that she had had three strokes and a heart attack i am like and sis is still with us but you know 
like I said, this is a, a no holds bar documentary, and, and she was really letting us know all of you know the information, all of the substances that she was taking. And when when she was telling us, I was like, well, I guess that makes sense that you were having three strokes and a heart attack because she's doing cocaine, weed, um, um, heroin, laced with fentanyl, you know, that she didn't know about. That was you know that nefarious drug dealer who she had said had actually assaulted her after you know getting her high and then leaving her for dead and leave it to a black woman saving the day her former i think it was assistant was the one who had found her and i don't know if, I, you know with hollywood sometimes because you know these are celebrities you have to make a judgment call sometimes instead of calling 911 you you know call you know a private doctor and have them handle it but this assistant made the right call in and you know making the decision to call 911 and Demi had said, the doctor said, had, you know, they come five to ten minutes later, she would not be with us. So it was really touch and go. Um, I, I think that this really shed, it, it really, it, it, it spotlighted, you know, because there is still so much stigma and um, misunderstanding when it comes to things like addiction. And I remember it was, I think it was Demi's younger sister who was saying, um, you know, most people look at this and they, you know, or look at how, you know, family members and they think to themselves, you know, I can't believe that my family member would choose, you know, drugs and alcohol over me. It feels like, you know, but they, they're really not because this is a disease like any other disease. And, um, yeah, so I, I think it, it does, a, if anything, this documentary does a good job of, of educating in that sense. Um, there was an, oh, it, yeah, it was really heartbreaking to hear Demi talk about, her late father, who also struggled with substance abuse, and how, you know, summertime, which is around the same time that she had overdosed, are tr is triggering for her because she lost her father over the summer, right around Father's Day. And the circumstances of her father's death are is, it was just so um, really tragic that he, you know, essentially, they, by the time that they had found him, his body was already decomposing. And they didn't even know how long he was there for. So she doesn't even have like a set date to know, oh, this was the day that my father had died. I just know that, you know, my worst fear had come true and he had died alone, you know? And and, and so, yeah, really, really um, intense there. I'm, I'm, I know that I will be tuned in to watch the next two parts of this doc. Elton John and Christina Aguilera are also featured in it. Um... Yeah, so if you all, you know, I'm sure you've heard some rumblings about that. So you might want to check that out. It's, it's you know, it's there on the tube. But okay. To conclude this episode for today, to find your way back. Um, so I... I <laughs> in reflecting on some comments that I had made at the top of the show. I actually am a little bit embarrassed, I have to say, um, because, you know, I was just watching the news a little bit earlier and hearing about, you know, those those deadly tornadoes that are going on in the South and those five fatalities in Alabama. Just seeing, you know, the, the B-roll of all of those homes that have been destroyed. And, um, you know, I, I know earlier I was just expressing, you know, lockdown fatigue and saying I'm so tired of being at home. But, you know, all I have to do is look out my window and look, you know, into the, off into the distance and look at the hill that is still, you know, um, there's, there's, I still, I don't know if, if I'm seeing things, if it's still just the PTSD or if, it, if there is, there seems to be a faint, um, you know, fire retardant remaining on the hill um, by my house. You know, um, earlier, you know, this past fall, I actually had to be evacuated from my home on account of a, a, a fire, a brush fire. This is not my first time having to be evacuated, you know, with the way that, you know, natural disasters in our environment it's 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 like these things are just going to be happening more frequently you know and in, in the recent years i mean it seems like los angeles has just been on fire you know so um yeah but but it was really um that 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 you all was like the worst period uh, like one of the worst periods of last year for me you know um 
it went from like I'm napping to I wake up and, and that's why I get triggered anytime, you know, the winds get a little bit gusty because I associate gusty winds with fire. Um, cause October is like, you know, fire season out my way. And, you know, in the middle of a global ass pandemic, I have to evacuate my house, not know if I'm going to have a house to come back to. And it's like, like I said, like I, I was napping, I wake up and then all of a sudden, you know, there's a, I, I look out the, the way and then the news is talking about fires and then I'm starting to see the flames right over the hill. Like I said, that's, you know, it's, it's in the distance, but it, it, it's close enough to where I'm, I have to be evacuated and I can see it literally from my, from my bathroom window. And, you know, you have to decide in, in like a, literally like a split second, what's important to you, pack it up and let's get the fuck out of here and not know if I'm going to have a home to come back to. And, you know, I'm, I have to be at a hotel and I hate hotels as, enough as it is because they're just so dirty to me. You know, folk are so nasty. And um, just thinking about like the recycled air, like I, I just get so <laughs> paranoid and it's like, it's a pandemic and it's recycled air at the hotel. <laughs> I know. I, I I'm privileged enough to even, you know, have been put up in a hotel. I, I, a lot of people were at shelters, you know what I'm saying? So it, it can always be worse. And so, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, just, just for those of you who are experiencing fatigue being at home, just be grateful that you have a home to be quarantined and laying low in because, you know, in, a, in an instant, anything can change. And, um, and yeah, so it's, it's really just... Today's, you know, find your way back. It's just about gratitude and just be grateful for the little things. That's all, y'all. So, because if you always focus on what you don't have, you'll never have enough. And that's Oprah Winfrey. Okay. So, until next time, believe in yourself and all that you do. Have a vision and see it through. Love y'all.